first off, the word, let, let me say this phrase, the gospel. So when a Christian says the gospel, uh, a lot of people would think that, that has something to do with Jesus dying on the cross. And while it's true that the, uh, that the cross is the central and even the um, climax of the gospel, the gospel, this phrase, the gospel that we use, is about the good news of the story of Jesus in his life and his death, and his resurrection. And so the gospel all starts with uh, the incarnation. And the incarnation, it's a cool word, and it, it comes from uh, the Latin incaro, which means in meat. So it means in meat. So if you were to eat chili con carne, what is that? It's chili with meat. And so Jesus then is God con carne. Is it God with meat? That it's God add meat. It's literally what it. Uh, it's literally what it means. And so it's Jesus. Jesus is God coming, and He's not just creating the world and then backing up to see how the whole thing plays out. No, this is this is God coming and becoming like His own creation, so that He can come and deliver the good news message of salvation from the Father. C.S. Lewis is a great author, probably my favorite, and he says this, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this, the incarnation. Uh, and so if we were to say what the gospel is, the gospel is just the, it's the central message of Jesus. And so if we were to try to sum up what the gospel is in one word, we could do it, how would you say Jesus. That's the gospel in one word. Jesus is both the source and the destination uh, for the Christian life. Jesus is both, um, Jesus, let's say it like this, Jesus is not just the messenger, Jesus is also the message. And Jesus is not just the word, he just doesn't just speak the word of God, Jesus is the word of God. Jesus doesn't just teach us the way, Jesus is the way. Jesus doesn't come and just show us the truth. Jesus himself is the truth. So the gospel, in one word, is Jesus. But you can expand on it a little bit, right? I mean, I don't know if that feels a little too uh, a little short. That was a quick sermon, if that's the end. So we can expand uh, the gospel to be something like this. And this is really where we're going in the series. Of course, you can slice and dice this lots of different ways. This is how I've selected to uh, present the gospel through the lens of the incarnation for this series. You could say it like this. The gospel is the good news of Jesus who has come to show us God's love, save us from sin, bring us peace, and unite us with God. So those are the four weeks the gospel is the good news of Jesus who has come to show us God's love, save us from sin, bring us peace, and unite us with God. So this week, uh, I've got some concepts I'm excited to share with you, and we're talking about how Jesus has come to show us God's love. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 1. And my goal, just to let you know this morning, is I'm, I'm taking a very complex way towards a very simple point. And the point is this, is that the gospel is, at its core, deeply relational. That's what it is. At the, at the, at the core of what the gospel is and the motivation behind the gospel is not a rule, uh, but it's a relationship. 
Now, I think a lot of people, especially those of us who have been following God for a really long time, we run the risk of looking at the gospel and primarily treating it like a contract, right? Where, where the idea is essentially Jesus comes and he says, hey, if you would like, the Father is willing to enter into a business contract with you to where, uh, as per the agreement, the sin that you commit will be transferred onto me. And not because God wants to, but because that's what the contract says, all the sin will be attributed to me. So is, is, there, is there a half-truth in there? Abs- absolutely. Uh, just like in marriage, there's a legal side of a marriage commitment, right? But if you, but if you treat marriage just as a contract, well, then you're really missing the heart of what a marriage really is. And in the same way, the gospel. There's, it's, there's definitely a um, contractual side of the gospel, but if you treat it only as a contract, you really miss the heart of what God is trying to do uh, and the message that he's trying uh, to bring. So three simple points for you this morning, and they're these. The incarnation shapes our understanding of God. The incarnation shapes our understanding of Scripture. The incarnation shapes our understanding of Christian community. So what we do here is we like to just open the Bible and uh, explore a little and teach a little. So John chapter 1, if you've got it. This is really famous text here, of course. John chapter 1, the beginning of John's gospel, he's decided to start it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice that. With God was God. With God was God. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Isn't that interesting that he changes a the to a he? In verse 1, he's talking about the word. And then in verse 2, instead of saying the word, he switches it to say he. Hmm. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So him, who's he talking? I thought we were talking about the word. We are. We're talking about the word made flesh. So he's talking about Jesus. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was the light of all mankind. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And if you think, I'm not sure he's talking about Jesus, it gets real clear as we continue to read. Let's jump down to verse 10. He, talking about Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 14, the word became flesh. Remember, meat. The word put on meat and made his dwelling among us. So uh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. So he just says who he's talking about. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So it's interesting. Scripture here in John is, what he's doing is he's painting a picture for us of Jesus coming to earth, which we would say the incarnation. Uh, And he's doing that and saying that somehow there's something about the incarnation of Jesus that uniquely brings light uh, to the world. Uh, John Williamson uh, Nevin, he's a, a great theologian, and he says it like this. 
the word became flesh. In this simple but sublime annunciation, we have the whole gospel comprehended in a word. The incarnation is the key that unlocks the sense of all God's revelation. The incarnation forms thus the great central fact of the world. It's amazing, and and it's hard to overstate just how world-transforming it is that Jesus would choose to come as a man and incarnate, put on meat, in the world. It changes absolutely everything. It changes everything uh, with humanity, certainly, but it also changes things with God. Here's something that a lot of people don't realize about God the Father, that in the New Testament, God the Father communicates to mankind twice in the entire New Testament. He talks to humanity with his own voice twice. Three times total. Uh, One is he's talking to Jesus, responding to a prayer, but the other two are the Father talking directly to uh, humanity. In the Old Testament, God the Father spoke lots, right? He spoke to the prophets. He spoke to Moses through the burning bush. He spoke to Adam and Eve directly. He talked, spoke to Cain directly, and on and on and on uh, it goes. But in the New Testament, God the Father only talks to humanity two times, once at the baptism of Jesus and the other at the transfiguration of Jesus. And so the question is, is what, what would God, when God chooses to use his own voice, I don't know what you think that sounds like. <laughs> for me, for me, I think, um, for, uh, just James Earl Jones, that's all I've got. Think Darth Vader, less breathy, um, more compassionate, but definitely deep. Right? And so, so when God the Father speaks using his own voice and he speaks to humanity, what is it that he says? Well, in both cases, he actually says the same thing. He says this. He says, he says I love Jesus. And, and Jesus here, this is my son. And I'm proud of my son. And then in the, at the transfiguration, the second time, he actually adds a phrase. Let's read it together. Matthew 17, verse 5. This is the father speaking. And he says this, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Isn't that interesting? That in the, in the entire New Testament, the, the message that God the Father would offer humanity is simply this. Jesus is my son. I'm pleased with my son. Listen to him. And it's, it, of course, it's not, it's not that Jesus and the Father come from different viewpoints. Right? No, no, Jesus is always acting on behalf of the Father. He is sent by the Father, and the Father is pleased with uh, what he does. But it's, it's, it's important to understand this, that there is, a, there is a relationship that is ongoing between Jesus and the Father. That's what I'm trying to get at. Jesus and the Father. Time and time, you can see the Father. The, the couple times he speaks, the Father speaks about his love for Jesus. And then Jesus is also in the same way. He's always communicating his love for the Father. And so there's a, there's a deep intimacy involved in God the Father and God the Son. And you might be thinking, uh, okay, well, where's the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. 
John chapter 14. Uh, Here, this is some cool scripture. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he is preparing them for his departure. He's getting ready to leave, and he says something that I think is super interesting. This is how he starts the conversation, verse 4, talking to his disciples. You know the way to the place where I am going. I I love Jesus' communication style. I I love that, that he starts the conversation by telling them that they already know something. He doesn't, he doesn't teach them something, but he tells them that they already know something. They already know where he's going. And look at what uh, Thomas says in, in the conversation. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I, I think this is hysterical. Uh, Thomas turns to Jesus. It meant Jesus is there. Jesus is. And he turns to Jesus and says, nuh-uh. And if, and if they were 10 years old, this, the father would, or Jesus would say, yeah, huh? And someone would say, nuh-uh. So Jesus says, Jesus says that they know the way to heaven. And Thomas says, we don't know the way to heaven. So here's the question. Who's right? I'm going to say always, Jesus, always. <laughs> always. But what's amazing here is that Thomas does know the way to heaven, but he doesn't know that he knows the way to heaven. And so he says, hey, we don't know the way. We don't know the way to heaven. And Jesus says, yes, you do. And here's, here's the uh, point of confusion, is that these guys in these scriptures, they're expecting Jesus to show them a way to get to heaven, right? That's what religion always does, right? Religion always comes and says, if you do this and this and this and this, then you can get to heaven. All you have to do is follow the way. And so the disciples, they're, they're saying, we don't know the way. You, you say we know the way, we don't know the way. And look at what Jesus says in verse six. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And people will look at this verse and say, Jesus says the only way to God is through him. That's kind of exclusive. Don't you think that's kind of exclusive? Well, it, it, it depends what the goal is. On one hand, if Jesus is just one prophet among many, then for him to say, you have to listen to only me and you can't listen to any of these other prophets. Well, of course, that would be very exclusive. But if Jesus is God and the incarnation is true, then it makes sense that for him to say it's perfectly reasonable for him to say, if you're looking for God, look no further because I I am God come to you. Right. So, so, for example, think about me. Right? If you want to get to know me, David Eifert, personally, well, you can get to know about me by talking to other people. Right? But if you want to get to know me, the only way to get to know me is me. Right? And you might be thinking, oh, David, that's kind of exclusive, don't you think? Shouldn't there be another way to get to know you besides you? Well, it depends what the goal is. You know, like if the goal is to get to know a person, the only way to get to know that person is through the person. 
right? And the same is true for you. If someone wants to get to know you, the only way for them to get to know you is by through you. And so that's not exclusive. And so Jesus here is not trying to make some mean statement. He's saying, if you're looking for the Father, you need to look no further because I perfectly represent the Father's heart. Okay, uh, let's uh, continue. Verse 16. Let's jump. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So here he's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, when I go, I'm going to leave with you a helper, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, here, here's what you have to get, the Holy Spirit will represent my heart the same way that I have represented the Father's heart. And so the, the, the Spirit will be with you. Verse 18, it's an amazing verse. Jesus says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Isn't that interesting? That, like, you're thinking, wait, I will come to you? I thought, I thought this was Jesus' farewell speech. He's trying to tell these people that he is leaving, and he's saying, I will come to you? How, how does that even make sense? Well, um, you have to understand this, that, that Jesus, Jesus represents the heart of the Father, and the Holy Spirit represents the heart of Jesus. So Jesus here is saying that he himself will come to us through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, who perfectly represents his heart. And this is where I want to camp out this last verse, uh, verse 20. And keep in mind that this is, this is when, when he's talking about when the Spirit comes. Verse 20, on that day you will realize that, listen to this, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I'm going to read that one more time. I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. This, this verse, to me personally, it reminds me of an M.C. Uh, Escher painting. You guys familiar with those? Uh, some of you are probably familiar with this. This is called, uh, this is called I wrote it down, Relativity. This is a, a famous piece of art. And of course, you can see what one man's up is another man's down, and one man's right is another man's left. And it kind of, it kind of like boggles the mind, because you're, you're not sure which way is up and which way is down and which person is going which direction. I think of this when I think of this verse. Let's look at the statements again. Jesus is in the Father. You, got, you, you with me there? We are in Jesus. Jesus is in us. And this all takes place through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that strange? I was trying to think of how to uh, communicate this. It's kind of a big concept. Father, help me to say it clearly. I believe what the scripture is saying is this. Of course, we don't become gods, right? We're not God and we don't, we don't become God. Um, but what I believe it's saying is this, is, is that when, when we receive life through Christ... We, um, we are invited into a love relationship. But it's not a new love relationship. Rather, we are grafted in to a love relationship that is already ongoing. 
right? So there's already this love relationship happening with God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit, perfect unity. And it's not that there's a new relationship beginning, it's that we are being grafted into a family that has already existed since before we were born. So that's pretty hard to to think about. So I made some diagrams. They're not the best, but I made them. Here we go. A lot of people, when they think of their Christian faith, they think of something kind of like this, where here you have you in the left, uncool, nobody likes you, you're way over here, no arrows. But then Jesus comes, and there's relationship with Jesus, right? And so now we have relationship with Jesus, and Jesus has relationship with us. And Jesus has relationship with the Father, and Jesus has relationship with the Holy Spirit, And so Jesus sort of acts as a bit of a middleman between us and the Father and us and the Holy Spirit. Now, is is there a little, is is there some truth to that? Totally, totally. Especially if you're talking about, let's say, the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, right? That it's through Jesus that we are able to obtain relationship. But this model, this model of these, uh, can we put that back? This is not the right model for where you currently are as a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, we could say relationally, it's a little bit more like this. Where you, because this is a terrible diagram, sorry. Okay, you have relationship with Jesus, but it's not just Jesus. You also have, you are invited into loving relationship with the Father, and you're invited into loving relationship with the Holy Spirit. So it's not a new relational dynamic, but it's a relationship that has already been ongoing that we are invited into. And all of that takes place through the incarnation, right? That, that through the incarnation, God putting on meat, now we're able to see and perceive and understand that God is inviting us into a loving relationship with not just himself, but also with the Father and also with the Spirit. Okay, secondly, number two, the incarnation shapes our understanding of Scripture. Uh, now, we know because of the incarnation, don't we, that God wants, God wants face-to-face relationship. That's what he wants, face-to-face relationship with us, which works perfect if you were born 2,000 years ago, right? Jesus, he actually comes. He's an actual man. He's right there, and he wants to meet with me. No problem. But it's a little bit more challenging to have a face-to-face relationship on the surface with Jesus because he lived 2,000 years ago in the same way that it's hard to have a face-to-face relationship with Abraham Lincoln, right? It's a little bit difficult, And so what are we left with 2,000 years later? We're left with what, a book? We're left with a book? And we're supposed to have a face-to-face relationship? Where's the face-to-faceness in a book? It all just seems so academic. How how is it that Jesus wants to meet with us face-to-face and I just go read Scripture, I can't even keep my eyes open? Where's the face-to-faceness in that? Well, it's the great paradox, of course, with, with relationship with Jesus. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the rub. That's the great irony. In fact, you could say the paradox might be something like this. The incarnation shows us that God wants to meet us personally, not just textually. 
But the text of Scripture is our best record of Jesus and context for Jesus. And we need Scripture if we are going to meet God in an authentic way. It's the great paradox of Scripture. Because think, think about it like this. Without Scripture, you would, you personally would almost certainly have no idea who Jesus is. You wouldn't, you, that wouldn't sound, it would just sound like a, you know, just sound like Jesus, someone who came over from Mexico. You don't know who Jesus is, right? But Jesus, Jesus uh, has, if, if Jesus has become real to you in any way, then you are deeply indebted to Scripture, because Scripture is the only way that we understand Jesus rightly. There's lots of ideas about God. And there's lots of people who are very confident about what, what God ought to do and how he behaves. But the Scripture is, is absolutely necessary for us if we want to have face-to-face relationship with Jesus because it's the best context for him. It's how we understand him. We would have no idea who Jesus is or what he did if we didn't have Scripture. So we could say the solution might be something like this. The Holy Spirit moves through the text of Scripture and the body of Christ, the church, so we can experience relationship with Jesus in person. The Holy Spirit moves through the text of Scripture and the body of Christ, the church, so we can experience relationship with Jesus in person. Lastly, point number three is this. The incarnation shapes our understanding of Christian community, which is to say the church, right? So, so here's what's amazing, is that we believe that the Holy Spirit comes and inspires Scripture and enables us to meet face-to-face with God through the interaction that we have with the text cooperating with the movement of the Holy Spirit, we're able to meet Jesus face to face. And what's amazing is that that same Spirit that inspires Scripture would come and inspire our brothers and sisters, who now they also become a conduit through which God is able to communicate to us. Right? And, and, and when we hit this place of, of being open, that's what I... That's, I, I want to encourage you for some reason here about being open. Like when I come into a room like this, I, I have grown in my Christian faith. I, I'm learning to appreciate the, uh, the powerful influence that God is able to put on the, on the inside of each and every believer in a way where you can really be speaking directly to me. So when I come into a room like this, I'm, I'm training myself to, to, to put my ears up and to start paying attention to what God might have to say to me through you. So God can come and speak to us through Scripture, and God can also come and speak to us through our brothers and sisters. Now, when if we were to come together as brothers and sisters gathered around Scripture, well, that's what we in... Uh, Pentecostal circles would call a whole lot of Holy Ghost power, right? That, that, that's where the magic happens, where we as brothers and sisters pursue God together. Think about the early church. In the early church, uh, 
the majority or uh, uh, many of the Christians, the Christ followers, were illiterate. They couldn't read. And also, the Scripture wasn't even, it wasn't commonly available. There was like a scroll, like one that they would pass around. And so, in the early church, brothers and sisters in Christ would depend on each other. They would come together and depend on someone to read the Scripture aloud to them. Right? And, so, and, and there's, there's something, I, I just think, I read, I read the Scripture by myself all the time. Uh, but there is something, I think, uniquely powerful about as a community, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would come together to study Scripture together. And I just think that it, it continues, it shows just the deep relationality that's in the gospel. That one of the things, maybe, that what, maybe we could even say the primary thing that Jesus does is he comes and invites us into a loving relationship with, of course, God, but also with each other. And so, so in that sense, the incarnation continues. Think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. He says this, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Isn't that interesting? Right? The, the, think about Jesus. Jesus was God in meat. Jesus was God in meat. And then Paul would come and say that we then are the body of Christ. Uh, Greg Ogden, he's a cool pastor. He says this, Jesus continues his incarnation by dwelling in his people. The life of Jesus is still being manifest among people, but now, listen, amazing, but now no longer through an individual physical body limited to one place on earth, talking about Jesus, but through a complex corporate body called the church. And so, so Jesus is still incarnating even today. Jesus incarnates when you become a willing participant and a willing carrier. What did uh, Pastor Cindy say? A uh, dis, what did you say, Pastor Cindy? Dis, distributor, dispenser of the Spirit of God. That, that the incarnation of Jesus continues and still he still appears to man offering the beauty of the deeply relational gospel. And it still continues. And, and when you really get a revelation of that, that, that not only can, can, can God speak to you through your brothers and sisters, but you can also be someone who would come and speak the words of God to somebody else, it changes, or at least it should, the way that you interact with people, right? It, it, it gives you a certain bit of humility to understand that when I'm talking to Nora, at any moment, I could be someone who is communicating the words of God to her. And also at any moment, she can be the one who's communicating the words of God back to me. And with that, there, there comes a certain level of respect and maybe in particular, a certain level of awareness where I'm paying attention to the opportunities that I have, but also the opportunities that Nora might have to come and speak to me. Three questions to ask in every interaction with a person. Number one is this, how can I see Jesus in you? I think part of, part of spiritual discipleship is just learning to appreciate all the different ways that God can speak to us. 
And certainly one of those ways is when we're with our brothers and sisters, that he would inspire them through the Holy Spirit to speak to us. How can I see Jesus in you? How can I learn from you? Uh, Secondly, how can I serve Jesus through you? I think it's amazing when we look at Jesus and he says something that I think is amazing. He says that when you go and you take care of the least fortunate in your communities, the impoverished, the imprisoned, the widow, the orphan, when you care for those people, he treats it as if you are caring for him directly. He, he He takes the care for the less fortunate as worship unto himself. And so you always have the opportunity. How can I serve Jesus through you? Lastly, number three is this. How can I show Jesus to you? Because I'm, I'm still going around, as I mature as a Christian, I'm going around with the awareness that the Holy Spirit may want to use me to communicate the gospel to somebody else. And I will not back away from that privilege. And so uh, I was trying to think how I might end this, this uh, little message. And uh, I have a video to play for you. Uh, this video... Um, just to intro it, is a commercial for a grocery store in Germany. Some of you may have seen this. Uh, so let me just disclaim, I know this is a, a grocery store trying to get you, they want families to be together because they want to sell more food. I get that. But I do think that they, that they touch on something that is really um, important and really profound, which is the power of face-to-faceness. And of course, the message of this commercial that you'll see is not waiting until it's too late. So I'm hoping that uh, you enjoy it and it's a blessing to you. Let's let the Germans teach us a thing or two about face-to-faceness. Here we go. I never told. Hallo Papa, ich bin. Ich wollte nur kurz anrufen und dir Bescheid geben. Wir werden es Weihnachten dieses Jahr wieder nicht schaffen. Wir versuchen es nächstes Jahr und dann klappt es ganz bestimmt. Fröhliche Weihnachten, Papa. Bis bald. There goes a day, there goes a week So many goals I have to reach The more I did, the less I cared The more I missed the love you've shared If life is a song, somehow it's sad I don't know the words without your dad You've been on my mind all the time And I miss saying you Used to be just some walls that I know But the truth is that home means nothing without you Wie hätte ich euch denn sonst alle zusammenbringen sollen? I 
watched that like 12 times yesterday so that I would get choked up up here. Did not work. It's like, fine, we'll buy groceries from you from now on. Gosh, chill. Uh, but I do think the commercial touches on something that's really profound and really important. And that's, and that's face-to-faceness. And that's what the incarnation is all about. Of course, understanding and appreciating the, the deep relationality that God has built into the gospel and how he wants to meet with us, but also how we as his disciples, as we learn to live incarnationally, that we also take that effort to make face-to-face connection with the people that God has given uh, to us. And I think that comes in a couple different ways. One, it comes in maybe, maybe those relationships that you know you need to not neglect, but you, for whatever reason, do neglect, right? That, that you know, call if you need to call, text if you need to text, but best of all, get face-to-face and, and, and learn to um, appreciate the, the God that can come to you through somebody else, but also God using you to come and communicate with somebody else. And it also, when we understand the incarnation, it changes how we uh, treat the people that we come into contact with, that we are face-to-face with, that we, we would learn to um, come with more kindness and may, maybe less opinions and more open to the possibility of growth within ourselves. And I, I think the Christmas holiday in particular is really great for this, don't you? I think it's an, a great excuse, you know, that if you, like, go over and you're extra full of love and you just want to get together, people are going to think you're less crazy around Christmas than the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm just going to come over with a fruitcake. Oh, dear God, anything but fruitcake. Anything. Anything. <laughs> But, but to prioritize face-to-faceness the way that Jesus prioritized face-to-faceness by coming to be with us. And of course, that leads us perfectly into communion, don't you think? That, that the table, and when we say the table, that's just a real artistic way of communicating the, the, sacri- the sacrament of communion, which we eat bread and drink from the cup in remembrance of Jesus. When we come to the table, that's one of the places that Jesus has promised that he would always be with us. And so Jesus, if you can, if you can believe it, even today, even in a moment that seems really normal, don't you think? I mean, it's regular. Maybe you're thinking about food. Maybe you're thinking what's going on after this. But, but in these moments, this really natural ordinary seeming moment that this is one of the places that God wants to come and meet face to face with you. The question is, do you have eyes to see it though? That's the question. But that God is always wanting to meet and he's always wanting to be present with you. But you have to turn your heart to see him.